Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, open source and open minds, how collaboration can mean success. We don't think cybersecurity can scale if you don't make it possible for the people who understand the problem to tell you about it. And there's a great way to do it is by giving them the source code and letting them modify it. We hear that everything is going to the cloud. Well, if everything is on the cloud, that means it's on servers that you don't control. And unfortunately, they're a very attractive target for cyber bad guys. Well, how do you ensure that your cloud-based data is as well protected as it would be if it was down the hall from you, behind a firewall, or maybe in an air-gapped server? Michael Shin, founder of Atomic Corp, believes that he and his company have the answer to those questions. So we're going to talk about what Atomic Corp does and how it will change cybersecurity to allow the movement to the cloud to be as safe as possible. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm uh, real happy to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. We're happy to learn about Atomic Corp. What does it do, and, and how do the current trends in technology really make something like Atomic Corp more important than we can even imagine? So our entire business exists because of the paradigm shifts that companies like Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, and even now IBM have done to computing. And that is that they've created the virtual environments in which people can deploy their applications without having to own servers anymore, without having to build networks anymore, without really even having to understand any of that. And that's radically changed the way that we do cybersecurity. The way we've always done cybersecurity is that we build secure networks and then we put things in them. And what that really means is we build a castle. We own the castle. We put a wall around things and we put stuff inside it. These new environments aren't castles. We don't own them. We don't have the walls around our assets. And so what we have to do now is we have to build networks with secure things on them. And that means those things have to be completely secured in a world where there's no walls. So in effect, the security moves with the data rather than the security creating a moat around the data. That's exactly right. And that is something that you have to do to take advantage of the really amazing technologies that companies like Amazon and Google and Microsoft have brought to their customers. And what they've given them the ability to do, aside from doing all of these things in a much easier way, is they've made it possible for people to scale up and scale down their infrastructure in real time. Right. And so what you just said is really the core of the security problem. Your data is moving all around these environments, all around the world in real time. And you have to take the security with it. You can't rely on the old model of we're just going to stick a firewall in front of it. We're going to have an IDS and everything's going to be fine. You know, I have an interesting story on that. The whole reason that the whole firewall IDS world exists, because I'm old in cybersecurity terms. I go way back to the early 90s, is that we were trying to find an easier way to secure things. When we actually first started doing this back in the 80s and the early 90s, most of the systems that were out there weren't behind firewalls and we didn't have IDSs. So we recognized that it was challenging to secure all of these systems that we had. So we went with the easy option, which was, well, we're just going to try and keep everybody out. And that doesn't scale, you know. Uh, that's really the magic of these technologies that Amazon and everyone else has brought out is that we're putting systems back on the Internet where they're faster and they can scale up quicker and 
you can have as much as you want whenever you need it. But that means we have to solve a problem that we've been putting off for decades. We actually have to make those systems secure. This is cutting edge stuff. And in a lot of ways, it's the kind of stuff that I really like seeing in our entrepreneurial community here. The other trend that you've, you're in front of that I think people should benefit from learning a bit more about is you use open source technology. Can you describe what open source is and, and how it's useful as a business model for technologists like you? Yeah. So, um, you know, my, my colleagues in the open source community may have their own sort of different definitions about what they think open source is. But for me, open source has always been about the fact that if there's something that I wanted to change in the software, I could do it. And that's really the core. There are lots of other benefits of open source. It might be, you know, free. There might be a lot of people working on it. Maybe there's a community. But for me, it always started with the fact that I had a piece of software that I'm using and I can make enhancements, changes, and fixes. True hacker culture. That's right. And in cybersecurity, that's really important. There's lots of really smart people out there. It's not possible for any cybersecurity vendor to understand every possible situation in which their product might be used. The people who are going to understand that are the people who are closest to the problem. And it's great if you can make it possible for them to enhance your software and hopefully contribute that back to you. All boats rise together. So in the security world, you know, we see some of the more interesting, more powerful cybersecurity technologies like Snort, for example, was open source. source. Fire, right. And it blew away all of the other network-based IDSs that were out there, all the proprietary ones, you know, uh, NetRanger at Cisco and uh, Real Secure at ISS and so on were, were out there many years in advance. But they couldn't keep up with what the bad guys were doing. Nessus is another great example of that, right? You know, you've, you've got to keep coming up with ways to enumerate and test vulnerabilities. Well, you need lots of people to do that. And it's really hard to figure out what those are. Maybe they're unique to a particular customer. Maybe that customer has a really smart person. So we believe very strongly in that because we don't think cybersecurity can scale if you don't make it possible for the people who understand the problem to tell you about it. And there's a great way to do it is by giving them the source code and letting them modify it's it. It's really interesting to me as we uh, come to the end of our time together is how the world's moved, you know, full circle. You think about Silicon Valley and the hacker culture that created Apple and, and so forth and how it's become much more about closed networks, proprietary models. And yet cybersecurity, it sounds to me, is a place where we're actually rediscovering or reinvigorating this idea of serving the public and serving ourselves by collaborating. Yeah, they're, they're not mutually exclusive in this case. You know, there, there certainly are reasonable business and economic arguments to be made for proprietary things, right? Uh, you know, as the old saying goes, hoarders will make piles of money, right? But cybersecurity is a hard problem, um, and you need people to contribute to that, and you can't really do that if you don't make it possible for them to contribute. And open source is one great way to do that. One last question. A lot of entrepreneurs think about raising money. You've just raised some additional outside funding. What is the hardest part about taking outside money when you're an entrepreneur? <laughs> uh, it's funny. I, I was at a, an event last night uh, where the uh, CEO for Go Canvas was talking, and, and it was, uh, it was deja vu, right? You know, we, we all talk about how we'd rather spend time working on our companies than, than raising money. But if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you, you almost have to become a professional fundraiser. That's uh, a big part of being an entrepreneur. You need capital to be able to grow. So I think the biggest challenge about it is recognizing that that's your job. Uh, and you'd rather do other things like build your product and talk to your customers and maybe do sales or whatever the case may be. But you can't grow without capital. Um, and, and 
you know, that's that's something you have to learn as you go, I guess. I guess it's the old line, you can't fight gravity. No, you cannot. Uh, and you need a lot of capital to overcome gravity. There you go. And don't become a black hole. Or maybe you want to, but Michael Shin, thanks for coming in and spending time with us today. Thank you, Jonathan. Michael Shin from Atomicor. Thank you to the Greater Washington Board of Trade. The Greater Washington Board of Trade represents leading businesses, nonprofit organizations, and academic institutions, and has helped shape the development of our region for over 130 years. Visit boardoftrade.org to learn how a Board of Trade membership can help your organization succeed in this rapidly changing marketplace. Thanks to Auric, an international law firm that focuses on technology, energy, and infrastructure finance. Clients worldwide call on it for forward-looking commercial advice on transactions, litigation, and compliance. Learn more at auric.com. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan, online writer Barbara Ulrich, music provided by two D.C. region bands, Two Car Living Room, and The Sunbathers. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for listening. See you next time.